I rock a mask like a vandal Light up a stream for Tiger King or Scandal Can't sell everything that you do Start thrilling your brain with a series on Hulu Send me naked girls in hella beef Stepping outside of the house is a felony No, you can't leave Just stay in your place You better get cozy till the end of May If you had a vacay, yo, just pause it Check out the hoarded TV in my closet to be mild podcast hey hello and welcome back to btbm it's the week of april 12th 2020 for ronald cabuno i'm peter crawford ron what's on the menu for today well pete there has been a lot going on from the coronavirus and talks of vaccines that might be able to save us all and how it will affect our lives going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a little deep dive that we're going to do now that Bernie Sanders is out of the race. And we're going to talk about how his influence is going to be felt in the general election and what we think of his platform in general. So in addition to covering how the administration has covered the virus and everything else that that entails, we do have some really light stuff. We have some really good sports, and uh, we have two big comedy drops from Louis C.K. and Dave Chappelle this week alone, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you that nothing takes precedent like your child trying to eat your wife's Sophia Petrilla Golden Girls chia head right before the show starts. And uh, I got to apologize for getting the late start, but as you know, that was an emergency situation that I had to attend to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the chia sake or for your daughters? Well, uh, we know that she eats just about anything and she loves her vegetables. You know, she probably wouldn't have had any problem putting that all away at about a week and a half's worth of growth. You know, some really nice sprouts were on there, but... Um, <laughs> I I never thought of them as vegetables until now. That's just so funny. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? My wife hit me to the fact, like it blew my mind, that chia seeds that I would put in my smoothie are the same ones that you would try to slather onto a terracotta Bob Ross. Mm -hmm. She literally just dropped that knowledge on me about five minutes ago. Fantastic, right? Isn't that a mind blower? I I had no idea. That was information that I did not have. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of the little one, it is my baby girl's first birthday this week. And a happy birthday to Vivian. Absolutely. So, I mean, I will get into that a little bit later, and I'm going to have some very nice and kind words for my lovely little daughter a little later in the show. But, yeah, um, that was a startling uh, it was a startling way to almost start the show. So I had to spring into action real quick and make sure everything was okay. But, unfortunately, we were not able to save the project. We're going to have to start all over again. Okay. Well, I, she's probably easy to work with, so... 
She is, and more chia seeds are able to be found, even in a pandemic. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So what's been going on with you this week, my man? Well, it's been a little slow, as it has been for everyone. Uh, One major thing here in Ohio that everyone was excited about was we have to-go drinks now. Oh, it's like the Big Easy around here now, right? It's craziness, especially when right next door, uh, Pennsylvania pretty much shut down all of their liquor stores. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad for those people. Yeah, almost immediately they're like, all right, no booze. And in Ohio, they're like, you know what? Come on by, We'll we'll let you take it home with you. There was a local Mexican restaurant that said that their business quadrupled as soon as that went into effect because they were just shipping out margaritas left and right. Oh yeah, well the rule is you actually have to buy food too. So I, I literally think people are willing to go in just to buy a meal, just to get those two drinks that they're allowed to walk home with. Some of those are tough to make at home. What would be a funny drink, a funny drink name for uh, for Easter? How about like a, a bullet bunny or something? I love bullet, <laughs> bullet bourbon is one of my favorites. So it's just, it's bullet, about- you've got pink food coloring in it. What if you call it Save Your Olives? <laughs> That's awesome. Save Your Olives Martini. But yeah, so I do want to say Happy Easter to anybody that's celebrating it this week. Yeah, There's that if you're going doing on your, as well. A lot of people doing those uh, those Zoom conferences with uh, their the congregation and the pastor. Totally cool. Totally responsible. Yeah, virtual church. Having grown up in the Orthodox Church, our Easter isn't until next week. Yeah, the Greek Easter is always a week later. AKA, well, actually, it can fluctuate from anywhere between a month before to a month after, just based on the old calendar that we use. Oh, really? Uh, usually, see, uh, my my buddy George is also uh, very Greek, very He's Orthodox. of the Greek. Yeah, yes. and uh, it seems like Greek Easter is always a week later, and it's a big deal. He actually refers to today as fake Easter. <laughs> but I do too. I was just about to say Greek Easter, aka real Easter, but yeah. that's fine. It's neither here nor there. It's just way cooler. They pull out all the stops for this week, and it is really something to see. Even if you go every night of the week, there's something else going on in the church that's it's kind of a big deal in their calendar. So they really they do well with it. Yeah, he always sends picks. It always looks like a big deal. There's a they they always have a a lamb that they literally have on a, a rotisserie in their. Uh, cooking it up. There's just a mad amount of food. Um, He's from Camel, right? Correct. So Youngstown. Yeah. Area, well, they are the. They are by far the most Greek of all the Greeks in our area. I mean, his entire neighborhood is Greek, and he calls all of not them only his, that, his uncles. <laughs> the entire town is from the same city in Greece. I did not know that. Interesting. As someone who's non-denominational, uh, it's all fake Easter to me, but I do get uh, jealous <laughs> of some of the celebrations I see. And, you know, should I have children uh, like you sell- yourself, um, I will definitely uh, raise them to have a good a good time on Easter. The egg hunts and all that stuff. And I'll teach them about the stories, uh, even even being not religious. You know, you know the whole story of, of what today means. So I'm not going to deny them the, right. the fun that I had with Easter as a child. <laughs> yeah, well... Learning about the passion of Christ is nothing but fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is what crucifixion is, son. (laughs) But really, uh, I agree. And I think that if you're going to give them the look into the commercial aspects of the holiday, you should at least let them know what it stemmed from, even if you aren't religious. Oh, absolutely. It is the... uh, It is the commemoration of the death of a very holy figure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also it turned into 
fake grass that we have to make sure you don't eat and, <laughs> um, you know, really colorful treats that you will want for the rest of your life. So we've got um, we have to we're mandated by law, I believe, at this point to do the rundown on what's going on with uh, COVID at this current state. Fauci has uh continue to reiterate that he thinks that we are starting to move the curve a little flatter that uh, we have yeah. to keep keep up with the social distancing and the isolating and the being safe staying home all the things that we've been doing but we're starting to see a difference uh the thing is is we we had such a late start absolutely and he said just as recently as this sunday morning that yes, we would have been able to do more in combating the virus if we would have gotten a head, you know, a head start on it a month or so before we actually got into it. And there was pushback within the administration. And uh, he, he, he wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. He was just letting you know what was up. Yeah, that's not really his style. Uh, I don't think he's in this for the politics. He actually is. It, the reason I trust him and the reason people should trust him, this dude is a doctor who's been doing it since the Reagan administration, and he legitimately cares about what he's doing. This is not a political thing for him, um, which is why we need to hear. And I, even, you know, you've seen people on the right who are uh, Trump supporters, uh, but like Brit Hume of Fox News has uh, literally uh, come out and said, that Trump could quote unquote stop talking much sooner and stop <laughs> stop bragging about ratings during the coronavirus briefings because we want to get Fauci up there. We want to hear the science and the medicine behind it. We don't want to hear pep rally talk. Exactly. And what we don't want is for people to be talking out of turn like Trump has been doing with hydroxychloroquine, right? So we have him speaking out of class and getting people who are much more knowledgeable on the subject very riled up. Yeah. Um, and because he's been so uh, vocal about it lately, you've seen a, a big boom in the, uh, the the right-wingers saying that this is actually, like going so far as saying this is actually the cure. And I had a, a debate earlier this week with someone uh, who was basically citing a study. He, he was misrepresenting what the study said, and I'm not going to, say that, you know, I, he just misunderstood, I think. But these people are believing that this is like the treatment that people all over the world are using and it's working. And that's simply not the case. So he found, or everyone's been citing the one French study, and that was what started this whole thing in the first place. And it's understandable that you would want to see promise from certain treatments. And there are many treatments that are going on right now that are looking very promising indeed. Um, but uh, you would have seen more usage and more um, in the field reports coming from Italy and from Europe in its usage if it was touted as being that uh, that good and effective. There would be a widespread agreement if we knew that this was going to work, and that's simply not the case. It's not because there are so many pre-existing conditions that can have adverse effects when you take the drug. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, malaria is not the same thing as uh, a coronavirus strand. That's fine. But if they want to treat, like, let's say the most lethal aspects and um, symptoms of coronavirus with a malaria drug, 
that's understandable. And so the cross usage is also understandable. But what you have to do is say that there might be a quarter of the population that this will not work for because of the side effects are so dangerous. You would never prescribe it for them. Right. They're, uh, they don't have all the testing done. But right now, it, it, this certainly doesn't sound like it's a long-term solution. Um, around the world, it's been used. Primarily, it sounds like it's being uh, prescribed as treatment for people who have pneumonia from uh, the the COVID-19 virus. And so those two in conjunction, that's where the treatment's been being used, but it's still not recommended uh, by doctors around the world for people who don't have pneumonia with the virus or people in general who have just been um, diagnosed. So to, to be touting this as a cure is just completely wrong. It's amazing to see the evolution of the treatment and the thought behind tackling this virus as it's coming along. There are now studies that are saying that it's not a good idea to put some people on ventilators because it's too much pressure for the type of pneumonia that they have. So they're finding better use or yeah, they're finding better results without ventilators because they're so vulnerable at that point that it's actually not a good treatment. It's putting stress on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's ever evolving. Um, Bill Gates is obviously leading the way once again, with his initiatives to get the vaccines to market. I think there's one called Innovo, or there's one called Innovio, and another one called Moderna. And those are the first two vaccines that I believe have started trials. Mm-hmm. He's getting a lot of pushback already, too. Uh, it, it amazes me. Now, I know we all know we have the anti-vaxxer crowd um, out there, but there, there are literally people saying that somehow uh, Fauci and, and Gates are together in cahoots trying to push... The, the, uh, population control and just the most I, I've heard crazy conspiracies, but this virus has brought out some of the, the most, I mean the tinfoil companies right now must be just selling all kinds of product because it is absolutely insane out there. And we will get to that because there is so much misinformation and there is so much consolidation of information that you're seeing going on in certain uh, sectors that you you have to keep your head on a swivel just to make sure you know which way is up right now. Yeah. Uh, It's important that everyone, before they latch on to every article their uncle shared or that popped up on, you know, whatever... uh, program they're running on their phone or something and they're they're just reading things and immediately latching onto it just like with this uh, uh hydroxychloroquine all of this stuff is not legit we don't know enough about this virus really to have a lot of uh hard and fast rules i think when you see overwhelming amounts of anecdotal evidence in the field then yes you can say that there is legit legitimacy to it But it's also just a piece of a much larger puzzle, and people want to boil this thing down into really easy answers. And we don't have one right now, and we can't pretend that we do. Um, And then in terms of misinformation, we only know... we only know what the facts tell us, and we just got to see some emails, I think, last night from the New York Times, the Red Dawn emails, as they are now being called, mm-hmm. because that's what the thread was called by the authors of it. And it's about like the alarm being sounded for months ahead of time, and the back and forth that was getting pushed, or the back and forth that was taking place on how to address this. There's been a lot of efforts out there. Uh, thankfully, by uh, companies like Facebook and YouTube, especially a lot of the creators on YouTube right now, unless you're like a legitimate uh, news site like CNN or something, 
you're not even really allowed to use the term coronavirus. You have to discuss uh, everything uh, in the vernacular of the health crisis, the ongoing health crisis or something like that, because they don't wow. want every uh, Billy Bob, Joe and Mary out there on their private to channel. To be an authority. Exactly. Spreading misinformation, spreading disinformation, in fact. Uh, and there is like a difference. these two idiots on the mics right now. Yeah, these what guys the right hell? here. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to them. Yeah, because uh, neither you or I, we're not doctors, we're not scientists, um, but we are interested in getting to the bottom of things. I don't, I try not to get into propaganda. I, I search for the truth. And right now, it's hard to find the truths out there. There's a lot of misinformation, but there's not a lot of truth because we don't know enough. And so too many people are just latching on to this misinformation. Yeah, we have to take everything, you know, with with a grain of salt, just like we had to look at that mask um, advisory and say to ourselves, I think ma wearing a mask would be OK. And later on, they're like, yeah, wearing a mask would be OK. It's like, well, we kind of figured as much, but you better have a reason to have been lying to us or something or to have been misstating possibly what we should have been doing. As far as the mask protocol it's been weird. I haven't actually seen that many people out with masks. Uh, we, uh, Grace and I, have been um, wearing... You live in a very young city. You live in a very... Uh... I, I live in a, a young neighborhood, but it's affluent. So you would think that a lot of the people around here... It's kind of a left-leaning area that I'm in, I would say. And But you don't see a lot of the masks uh, unless you actually go into like a CVS or something where they're obviously wearing like surgical masks. They've got big plexiglass dividers between you and the uh, the cashier. Absolutely. When I go to the hardware store, there was probably 75% of the people in the store and all of the uh, the workers were wearing them. Mm -hmm. That's good. So that was good. That yeah. was great. If you're an employee, I, it makes sense uh, because you're, you're dealing with so many people throughout the day. But we, um, we've, we've been putting on basically snowboard uh, type masks and the idea is really not just to keep yourself safe. It's because it prevents the droplets in the aerosol of your yeah. air getting out and uh, possibly contaminating others. That's the whole idea. Exactly. And I was actually looking at these really cool ones um, that they used to sell before they were completely sold out at Home Depot. And they're the neoprene ones that have the little vents in them. And they're super slick looking like a ninja. And they actually say right on the website that it is to protect you, but it doesn't protect other people. So it's like the exact opposite of what you want the mask to be. So right. you're better off just having a piece of cloth than having this fancy one that they sell. And so, yeah, you have to look at the fine print, even when you think you have a really good solution. Yeah, just trying to figure out what kind of mask. Everyone doesn't need to walk around with the N95s on, obviously. Um, but it's important to take whatever measures you can if you're going to be in a public area. Because right now, I just mentioned that... Uh, Fauci has said that we are starting to see a little bit of the flattening of that curve uh, because of the measures were taken. But this week, it, it's still been horrible. This was supposed to be the peak week. And all the way back on Monday, we passed 10,000 deaths in the United States, which is more mm -hmm. than the Revolutionary War, the War 1812, the Mexican War, the Indian Wars, the Spanish-American War and Desert Storm combined. That is a lot of dead people. That's quite a bit. Yeah, so it's serious. The people who are not taking it seriously yet, just think about that number. That's a pretty high number. What what could we have done differently? You know, we've been saying it since day one. We could have jumped on it earlier. The real question is how early is earlier? How early did we start getting intel about this virus? 
Yeah, it's starting to look like there were definitely really strong warning signs as early as uh, mid-January in terms of, I forget what they called it, some kind of non-something shutdown looks like where it's basically voluntarily getting rid of the business parts of the economy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we, we didn't do anything though. And I think by the time it was late January, most of the experts were had essentially conceded it was an inevitability that it was going to come here and it was going to be bad. So yeah, you were saying that I think it was 10,000 was the number on Monday? On Monday, yeah. Well, we're at 20,000 now and it's Sunday. We're doubling, I think, every five days now, so that's a little bit better. But um, yeah, it's uh, still really, really ridiculous and it's raging on in smaller communities as we're seeing now. And uh, some places are seeing a bit of a change in their curve, like New York. Uh, Cuomo is cautiously optimistic uh, as are some governors in other places it's been kind of nice actually being able to tune into wine with dewine and not really sit on your edge of your seat just waiting to see what kind of crazy news they're going to have for you next and it's kind of just like a status quo report where all right here's what we're trying to do in terms of getting more relief and more access to the uh, unemployment website or something like that Um, where it's just kind of the bookkeeping part of letting people know the government is still handling things on your behalf, the best of their abilities, just checking in with you, and nothing crazy has just happened in the past 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's been good, you know? Like, it's like, it's that new normal that we've gotten used to, but it's uh, a little bit more comforting than alarmist at this point. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear good news. We're starting to hear more uplifting stuff. What I do know is that there is pushback in all the wrong places in some instances. Um, there were actually protesters standing outside of DeWine and Acton's press conferences, I think several days this week, talking about how they were overreactionists and um, they were hurting the economy far too much and infringing upon people's rights. Yeah, well, people are getting restless. Uh, the longer this goes on, you're going to see more of that, I think. But I think that uh, it was amazing to see DeWine treat it and he reacted with such aplomb because he said, listen, you can exercise your First Amendment rights. No one's going to stop you from doing that. I just hope that if you're yelling or protesting, you do it at a safe distance from your next, the next protester or whatever. And it was really great. It was very admirable. So he was he was understanding people's frustrations, but he wanted to let you know that this is not a joke. Even if you don't want to listen to our science, we still want you to be safe. Yeah, the guy's a he's a consummate professional up there. Um, I don't I don't agree with a lot of his uh, policy prior to all of this, uh, but the way that he's handled uh, this uh, public health crisis has been uh, admirable to say the least. So nothing but respect right now for Dr. Amy and for uh, Dewine. Um, I'm really glad because Ohio's, Ohio's numbers have been improving. There's a lot of other things going on with the virus. Uh, this is an endless, endless topic. Uh, what, what, are we, what are we looking at? <laughs> this is an this is the endless topic for the next 12 to 16 months. You I, kn- I know. It's just how much information is there always going to be every week? But yeah, it's getting crazy. What 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 going forward? <laughs> what are we looking at? What is the virus impacting the most right now in the next month or so? We're looking at the immediate effects of the virus, and then we're looking at the long-term effects of the virus. Mm -hmm. Immediate effects of the virus are things that are going to be like the shit show that we had in Wisconsin, where you had things routed all the way up to the Supreme Court, and still 
not able to side with the people. And what you're going to do is then have that extrapolated into November. And that is the big concern on my part. Yeah. uh, Ginsburg uh, said literally it was mind boggling. Now, I didn't get to look at the vote on this one, but where was Roberts? Because he's the one who's supposed to be holding the integrity of the court solid while things get hyper-partisan. He was, he was with the right. Roberts uh, voted for the, uh, the, the election to take place in and person. And that's the thing. So that, that's what I mean. So, like, these are the times where Roberts, like, kind of slips in his true self when nobody's looking. And it seems like it might not be a big deal, but it's going to end up being a very big deal because he's setting precedent for what's going to happen in these, you know, primaries and then possibly the general election. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, listen, we don't care about how you had to change because of the virus um, after the statute of limitations allowed you to in the constitution of your state. So then we're just going to leave it up to your state legislature to figure that out. Oh, you have a hyperpartisan chamber? Well, then nothing's going to happen like you had in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is that little petri dish of of Republican activism and uh, trial and error that has really <laughs> been a thorn in the side of this country for quite some time, if I may say so. Yeah, I, it, it just blows my mind that... Um they actually had an election right now. You're not supposed to be congregating even with your own family, but by all means, let's open up the polls and jam all these people in there. They did. And so then they said, all right, we're going to not allow any ballots that are postmarked after the election day, even though they weren't able to keep up with the glut of requests for absentee ballots that was put in place because nobody wanted to go to the polls. So that's where you have disenfranchisement. You have, well, what you have is Republicans wanting to suppress the vote. And you're going to have to prove me wrong and tell me differently and show me examples where they're opening up access to voting so that I would believe otherwise. Uh, Like a really tangential topic to this is the post office. Yes. The post, right? Yeah. So the post office said... I think at the beginning of the week that they're obviously going to be bankrupt, I think once again or something. Uh, They've been in trouble for years. So this is not helping anyone. (laughs) They have basically essential services that are necessary for the safety and security of this country that should be enshrined to the nth degree. And for some reason, if they're not, and they became a public entity or or not a public, but a separate entity, a self-sustaining entity along the way, that was a misstep. Because we should never unfund them. And that's what Trump essentially was saying by the end of the week was that I'm not going to bail out the post office. He was. He was t- and so bring it. Yeah. Yeah. So bring it back to what we were talking about. That means that we are we want to disenfranchise as many people as possible because we don't want vote by mail. I think it was somebody on the on the bulwark who said, oh, we want to make sure that if you're elderly or if you're disabled or if you're military, definitely be able to go ahead and vote by mail. But not poor people. We don't want those people to vote by mail. Right. Yeah. Like, you see what's going on here. Well, it's the same kind of stuff you see every election. It's different. It's different than every election. The ramifications are going to be so much bigger than ever before because you're going to have so many more people afraid to go to the polls if this virus ramps up again in the fall. Oh, yeah. People are going to be uh, petrified of this. I mean, we can lift the stay-at-home order, but that's not going to change the fear uh, that's, that's basically... Uh, a blanket on top of the entire nation right now. People are still going to be afraid for a long time. But I'm saying that it will be a rational fear possibly by the fall once again, because there will be a glut 
of cases that might come back. Yeah. Or probably and most likely will come back in a lot of people's estimations. So when you have these protections being taken away from getting access to the vote or expanding access to the vote, that is going to be really, really troublesome. You just went through a, a lot right there, but it's I, I don't the election is going to be interesting uh, to say the least. Um, I don't know how as far as the post office goes, I, I don't understand why Trump was so against uh, trying to fund He flat out even said, I think, that he would veto that uh, stimulus package, the two trillion dollars that were thrown around if it had any kind of bailout involved that involved the post office. But you say you don't understand. I just gave you a good reason. Oh no, I under- that could that could very well be it. I understand right the political side of it, but it's just, I guess it's hard for me to fathom uh, the inhumanity of of that kind of right. uh, decision making. Yeah, absolutely cunning and dastardly to the uh, detriment of anybody. We did have a, a big bomb, one that we knew it was coming. Bernie Sanders is officially out, so we're looking at a Joe Biden, Donald Trump election in November. What do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) I think we knew this was coming for weeks now. And it's kind of, I feel like there's a huge section of the left, the liberal left right now that is still in denial several days after this. Did you say Bernie's out? Yeah, yeah, he's out. Did you you hear about that? (laughs) (laughs) So Bernie's out. And we have disenfranchised people of roughly the same demographics as we had four years ago. It's almost a rerun of the same show. And it really sucks because he has such great messages and he has an influence, like we said, that will be long lasting um, far long after he is done running for president perpetually. I think he's done. This might be it. Yeah. And I think we've stated this before on the show. Um, Bernie's legacy is going to be the impact that he's left on people like AOC and the the up and coming uh, youth movement between the millennials and Gen Z. These people really, really looked at Bernie as someone who had ideas, someone who was who was truly not part of the establishment. I think a lot of the right wingers thought that was Trump before, but Trump isn't. Trump is still kind of part of the establishment. Bernie is really anti-establishment. Bernie is anti-establishment, but his messages are kind of stale, and he doesn't know how to deliver them with any dynamism. He is uh, yelling. (laughs) Exactly. So he's not the best messenger for his own messages, like we've stated. We'll never know how realistic it would have been. Would he have been able able to pull off all of the uh, policies he wanted to implement? Do you think that Bernie would have been a viable candidate in four years or eight years? Honestly, in the times that we're in right now and seeing how this coronavirus is upending every aspect of society, there is no telling where we're going to be next month, let alone four years. So it's almost less important to maybe try and extrapolate where we're going to be than ever before now. Oh, yeah. Well, the, uh, but we can at least but we can at least say what we think of these things right now. So, like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go through Bernie's, like, platforms and just see how they line up with how we feel as left-centrist people. Because I think we had so many avenues and so many candidates and personalities that we were able to latch on to during this primary process that we all found our personal favorites. And yet we all agreed, or a lot of us agreed, with many of the things that Bernie had to say. Yeah, he's got 
great messages. It's just that I, you have to wonder a lot of the, and I'm talking strictly just about the, the left of this country. A lot of them weren't ready for him yet, especially people who were 40 and above. Maybe he was scary. And uh, to be honest, I think that the coronavirus uh, truly sunk his ship. If he had a chance, the, the virus, this was not a time where people were, were willing to take a chance on something. Well, I would definitely say that would be the case, but his ship was sunk uh, weeks before the coronavirus landed on our shores, in, in my estimation. So okay. I think it was just the final nail in the coffin, and then we actually didn't even have to hear from him anymore. And then when he did hit the trail, it wasn't even a campaign. He was like, listen, it's not about campaigning right now. It's about trying to save lives. So there he was being noble even into the 11th hour, but he was already out of it and he knew it. Why do you think he stuck around as long as he did? Because it didn't matter if he did or if he didn't. And so like people were trying to make heads or tails of so many other things. Maybe he just wanted to still have access to influence. Maybe he just still wanted to be able to uh, get words out um, that the press was going to pay attention to in an important time. Uh, that makes sense. It's tough to tell. Yeah, because I don't think that he still thought he was viable at a certain point, but he was still in there. There's the, no still way the he thought he was viable. He knew he was over the horizon, and basically a lot of the electorate just turned their backs on him because there was so much consolidation in the middle that it was unsurmountable. And um, again, he didn't seem fresh. And so I don't know about his capacity for being dynamic and I don't know about his capacity for working with others because he didn't show it on the campaign trail there was no reaching out to the center no. there was a just stick to the playbook he really so did. if you didn't yeah. so if you don't want to tell me about how your far-reaching goals or whatever are going to mesh with the reality on the ground then I have to discount you as being non-realistic at some point well, if, if his mission from the get-go, well, I, I wouldn't say the get-go, but once he realizes that he really didn't have a shot, was to espouse his, his ideologies and try to envelop uh, the youth movement within really what he saw as a progressive future, then he was actually successful because there really is a lot of momentum behind that thinking. Well, it's not just momentum, it's actual evidence. So he's sitting there with a platform that's saying, oh, the rich are stealing from you. And as long as he sticks around long enough, he has ample evidence to those to the fact. So he can say, look, they're doing it again right there, right there. Look, that one thing I told you about, there it is again. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I mean, he is a lot of what he says is being borne out. But uh, the solutions, I think, are the ones that he really needed to try and hammer home. Yeah, Um I, I applaud the guy. I don't know that I was going to vote for him, you know, but it, his efforts will not be in vain because he really has uh, impacted a lot of people and the, the new generation of voters, as we see uh, millennials and Gen X and eventually uh, Gen Z kind of taking over and the boomers kind of fading away a little bit. I think what he's done, you're going to see a lot more candidates following in the, the ideological uh, Sanders way of thinking. Absolutely. All right. And I want to run down just a quick list of these sure. and see if you have any qualms with any of them. All right. Because, I, you know, I'll let you know if I do, too. All right. So just to start with, let's do cash bail reform. Yes. End it. Absolutely. You want to talk 100%. about pe having people indebted to the system at such an early age and starting them being criminals for no reason other than being broke. Yeah, let's end. Yes, it. I'm on board 100 percent there. 
uh, scrapping the disparity in cocaine sentencing. In cocaine sentencing. Cocaine sentencing. Um, yeah, it's powder versus uh, crack. Oh, oh. How it's like five times as much. It's like, yeah, I think we can get rid of it. Yeah, because that's well, we know what the, the all target it is is, is racial. Yep, exactly. So I, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to say it, but you did. So yeah. <laughs> but no, that's the common sense thinking, and that's the whole reason that it's there. It was put in place to actually hurt people of color. Mandatory minimum sentences, eliminate them. Yep. Private prisons, eliminate, eliminate them. them. Prisons for profit is Absolutely. ridiculous. It's an absurd concept. I mean, it's tough enough that you have schools and hospitals for profit, but prisons is absolutely disgusting. It's ridiculous, yeah. When you have incentive to keep someone behind bars, it is not a it's it's a broken system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually I don't have a problem with private schools. I definitely have a problem with private prisons though. So I mean, it's just like common sense stuff. A lot like, of it is. And a lot uh, of it is. But then you get to but then you get to some overreach and uh the minimum wage thing is tough. Um because I'm in a place like is still living in depression era pricing. So when you want to talk about these little shops having to pay their workers $15 an hour, they're going to go out of business in a, I mean, if they're, if they even make it through this shit, I'm talking about like, you know, a couple months ago, if this was implemented, that would really put a burden on a lot of small businesses, I think in some lower income places. I think small businesses is exactly where you have to put some thought into that $15 an hour. And it's funny that we're talking about this right now because currently there that you see all the memes flying around. This is the time we've got these minimum wage workers. They're the ones who are essential. They're the ones out there risking their lives at Walmart, uh, cashier, uh, you know, uh, cashier, uh, stands and, uh, McDonald's drive throughs You know, th- these people are making how much, what are they making? Eight bucks an hour, nine bucks an hour. It's interesting. We, we, we walk into this crisis situation and all of a sudden everybody turns into a socialist. Everyone's accepting checks from the government. We're, we're trying to get more money to the people that are essential working at McDonald's. But then you have actual, like, really good initiatives that can be seen as pretty socialist. Like, Sherrod Brown said he wants to give an extra $25,000 to all of our essential workers, I think, in the medical field or maybe even farther, more expanding than that. That sounds like a Sherrod I'm, I'm a big Sherrod Brown fan. You know this. Um I don't know if I think that's excessive or not, but I, I, what do you get? You've got to give them something. Those people right now, they're, they're basically the equivalent of the uh, 9-11 firefighters. I mean, these people are essentially heroes for what they're doing. Well, no, I just wanted to, I just had to look it up because I wanted to make sure that I was right in saying it was a 25K and not a 2500 increase because it seemed crazy. Yeah, 25K is a lot of money. That's why I paused for a minute. But it is. I hadn't read that. No, it is. (laughs) That's a lot of money. (laughs) So it says he is expected to unveil his Heroes Fund Thursday. The proposal would give an additional $25,000 pay increase, the equivalent of an additional $13 an hour from the start of the public health emergency through December 31st, 2020. He's also proposing a $15,000 recruitment incentive for health, home care workers, and first responders. Essential workers include doctors, nurses, grocery store workers, building cleaners, letter carriers, and transit workers, to name a few he outlined. How about that shit? Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of sectors of the economy. A lot of the people who are kind of being forced to work in fairly dangerous conditions right now. But it's 25K. That is a lot. That's a huge bump. I am definitely cool with the $15,000 recruitment incentive for the healthcare workers and the home care workers and the first responders. Like, 
that is that is something that they should be doing for teachers, you know, no on under on normal circumstances and shit like that. But like, obviously, our government has been defunded to the point of poverty um, when it comes to those things. But um, yeah, I like it. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's a great. I, I mean, how do you? There is no standard. There's no norm. So anything we do right now is a new territory. And yeah, give them as much as you want. I, I I'm not going to be sitting here pouting that we're rewarding the people who are risking their lives every day to save ours. So just like the the response in general, it comes down to a state's issue where if we're left to ourselves to do this, then we're going to figure out what someone should get paid in our state for there. And and I think the same thing could can be said for the minimum wage where maybe you just have a minimum wage that's based on the state's media median income. Uh, well, statistically, looking back, our minimum wage has absolutely not kept up with inflation. Um, any chart will show you that. It's kind of embarrassing. So I think there does need to be a, a hike for the minimum wage. You know, we can negotiate. Sure, we can I just negotiate think that it number, might need to vary state from state. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't, you know, $15 an hour in uh, Mississippi is a hell of a lot more money than $15 an hour in Seattle. So Exactly. So getting back to Bernie, that was one thing that I was like, on the fence about because it's going to affect different states differently and it can't be just a blanket movement. Um, canceling student debt, not a great idea in my, in my idea. You're, you're not on board <laughs> like with that. Gonna... See, I don't have any student debt now, so I, I'm, well, I don't either. And, uh, Oh, okay. So you're in, you're in my boat. Um, I had to pay all mine back. And so if they forgive it now, I'm going to be kind of pissed off about that, but that's kind of like my own personal feelings being, uh, biased, but in general, Student loan forgiveness, I, the the whole education thing in general. That's where I start to uh, kind of diverse diversify myself in Bernie's thought process. I don't think college needs to be free, and I don't think student loan forgiveness, complete forgiveness, is a good idea. That's what I mean. I just don't mean that everything needs to be wiped off wiped off the slates, and everything needs to be free from here on out. If Biden wants to say that he agrees with community college being free, then I think that's something that everyone should get on board with when you talk about the low cost of implementing community college and being able to do it online for a lot of people and just giving people access to additional skills at low or no cost. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah. But, uh, but if you want to talk about going into higher degrees exactly. and if you want to talk about things that are almost more than likely guaranteed to bring you a higher level of income once you leave that school of learning, then yes, you should probably have to pay something to access that knowledge. But we should also be refunding the state schools to their previous amounts that would make it more affordable for people to go there without being saddled of the, with the burden of debt for the rest of their lives. The the amount of money that some of the universities, I mean, even since I was at Ohio State, um, when you can go to like some of these small uh, liberal arts colleges that everyone loves in Ohio, like Otterbein, sure. and Wittenberg and everything, and you can rack up two, three, four hundred thousand dollars yeah. in four years it's crazy. Just, in a, just in an undergraduate degree. This is ridiculous. And how, so, how long does it take you to earn that money back? You know, it, it's nuts. So I right like show me all the fields that are offering that much uh, compensation. They just aren't out there. Yeah. So like yes, I understand that we just need to make access to the basic skills 
more affordable or free and we need to bring the price of everything back into something that seems more manageable and realistic. Well, we're already moving into an era right now where uh, fewer and fewer people are even uh, just going to college by default. People are deciding that, is it worth it? You know, they're going to trade schools. And I think when you start to see a little less demand, because when we were growing up, it was assumed everybody goes to college. You have to go to college. These days, parents aren't preaching that as much uh, because a lot of people aren't. You come out of there with like a communications degree and what are you doing? Nobody wants to hire you. You end up doing something like a podcast where you don't even use your degree. <laughs> so it, it's it's a school of thought that's that's uh it, we've got uh not so much the uh the push and the urgency for people coming out of high school that are all automatically going to college yeah so college isn't going to be free for everybody and it's not going to be free all the time i can get with that oil and gas drilling ban fracking everywhere um i that's a tough yeah one. see frack there's certain times when it's a no-brainer well i don't think that frack there's places you shouldn't be fracking there are so many people and jobs that are related to so that. Many. You would have to have you would have to have a scale down just like you would do in any other industry that you're trying to wipe out completely. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like you're saying, you would have to target the places where it's having the worst environmental impact and ban it immediately. And you know that a President Bernie would have that front and center because he's obviously about bringing back even stricter regulations for emissions mm-hmm. and um, you know across the board, just beefing up anything green. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you start reducing, we've seen over the past month or two what the world can look like when you reduce emissions in a very short amount of time. It's really amazing. And it should be, it would hopefully be a lesson to us all. And there was a, an article that started circulating in the last few days that was, I, I want to say slate, and it was called, I think, be prepared for the gaslighting where you're just going to hear from all these companies about how it's time to get back to the new normal and this never happened and it wasn't as bad as you thought and don't believe your eyes. And it's like, no, 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 we have to understand what happened. We have to have our eyes open to what it was like for our impact not to be felt on the planet for this amount of time. We cannot turn our eyes away from the facts on the ground anymore. And I think that is what is being borne out in people's response to President Trump's handling of this crisis and versus the governor's like it's just it's just hopefully going to be a more fact driven era in some degrees. You're always going to have those detractors, but I think people are off board with just the personality driven narratives and they want results. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, people have no patience anymore, so they, they want results. They want results that they can clearly understand. You've had some of these governors who have been able to sit there for hours and delicately explain things to a populace that normally doesn't have the patience for that type of thing. So maybe when things are important, people will have a little bit more pause and, and, and give people a little bit more time to explain the nuances of certain issues. It could be a turning point to where in times of maybe an election or a big news moment that the bluster isn't going to work as well anymore. Mm -hmm. I can only hope because they'll see it for what it is like. Well, I mean, we could talk about uh, Russian interference or whatever, but Trump's mudslinging against Hillary was so successful that it won him an election. That final push that last week before the election until mudslinging, it, it is so childish, and people widely agree that they hate it, but it's so effective. 
no matter who the candidate is, the the efficacy of mudslinging is going to be something very difficult to get away from. Yeah, I think that you have misrepresentation of somebody's record and then just an actual display of somebody's record. And if that's considered mudslinging, then I guess it's always going to happen, right? Yeah, pretty much. It, it, it would be, I mean, it's been around since the earliest elections. And uh, if you. But I'm saying if all you're doing is holding a mirror up to somebody's voting record or somebody's actions in office, is that really considered mudslinging or it's just actually shining a light on what they've been doing? If, as long as it's factual and it's rooted in, you know, their actual uh, work as a politician or in the field. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I, but that's where you get into that gray area, because if you look at some of these local commercials, it's always like. Debbie Downer voted to kill all the puppies in the orphanage yeah. on last year's budget. Like it's black like, and well, white no, footage. it's because <laughs> it's it's like, no, it's because it was one thing that was put in there by a local rights group that she didn't agree with and blah, blah, blah. And you can spin those votes any way you want and you can ca- miscategorize them in a semi truthful manner that makes it sound horrendous. There are a lot of half truths. So that's where there are a lot of uh, that's yeah. what I mean. That's what yeah. It's like ugh, it's gross, and I, I I see that as being the toughest thing to get rid of because they can always come back to a vote or something where they got this seed of information. Yeah, and well, really, that's just the media in general right now. I mean, it's yellow journalism across the board. So why wouldn't the politicians and their campaigns involve themselves in the same way? Everything is everything has got a spin. There, there is good news out there. I like to think that we try to stay unbiased when we're talking about things, but for the most part, the major outlets and everything, that's just what media is so big right now. And there's so many different outlets that everything is mudslinging. Everything is always black and white. And I don't know, getting that out of politics is realistic. I would love for somebody to just come out and say, yo, uh, yeah, he voted for this. He voted for this. Is that what you really like? Instead of these commercials where it's like the saddest song of all time is playing. They got B&W footage of somebody moving slow and looking hapless and disheveled. Or just like or just Ron DeSantis comes out, builds his own wall, gets a flamethrower and says, we're going to knock these pussies back to the Stone Age or whatever. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, shit. (laughs) And then other people are like, I'm voting for that asshole. Yeah, that's enough to win votes in this day and age. You got it. You got it. Um, But yeah, so in terms of good news, can I please just say that this is the time where I'd like to take the time to say hello to my little Miss Vivian. Dear little baby butt face. Sorry, my little Vivian. Well, they were all right. You've brought more joy into my life than was ever conceivable before your arrival. This week is already your first birthday, and we anticipated how quickly it might come, yet are still amazed the time is here. You see, my little Chibutsi, some say a baby's first birthday is more for its parents, who have usually spent the last 12 months sequestered from friends in the outside world, and deserve to be heralded for successfully navigating all the smelly and scary obstacles the first year of a baby's life unfailingly brought them. Unfortunately, my little Nuggie, we're in some different times right now, and your visitors, who would have then became our visitors, will have to wait. And we already know we're doing a great job with you. Every little mischievous smile that you give me tells me as much. 
You bring a tear to my eye almost every day, sometimes in fear of all that may come, but mainly because you did something so heart-achingly adorable, like giving your stuffed buffalo a loving kiss. My dear Monk Monk, you restore my faith in humanity with every unwitting poop you take in our tub. I don't know how you do it, but you do. So thank you. Keep being your best, weird, brilliant self. We'd expect nothing more from a tiny creature who's so impressionable and shares all of her time and waking hours with none other than your mother and I. We love you. Happy first birthday. Thank you very much for indulging me. It's been the uh, it's been the best year of my life, and now we can move on with the rest of the show. Right, and she won't remember any of it, <laughs> but she'll have that saved on this podcast forever. <laughs> Damn right, it will live on in digital eternity for her enjoyment. Um. So before we move on to sports, uh, any predictions on who Biden is going to take as his stated female running mate? Man, that is really tough because I think that if I want the total package, I have to stick with uh, Warren. Um, I think Klobuchar is nicer, but she doesn't really have I think she's the redundant. positions and the platform. And Yeah, exactly. So um, she has the personality that's a little too overlapping with Biden. Um, I think Harris is has the fire but she also can be derailed from the message a little too easily yeah uh i think that warren is so disciplined and so intelligent and can be very feisty i think she could make mincemeat out of trump or pence or both at the same time if given the opportunity uh well it would be obviously pence um yeah she would definitely no, I literally in a steel cage match she would roast them. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't bet against her. She's vicious up there, mm-hmm. so, and she knows her shit. Um, but yeah, that would be. I think she would be someone who would bring in the most votes, the most people out there who are currently a little disenchanted with uh, the idea that Bernie's out. This would be a way to rope a few of those people back in. She is the best lifeline to the left that Biden has. Yes. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So that's where we're looking at expanding the electorate. Uh, Biden is going to be able to get all the dusties, the crusties, the whiteies. Not going to be a problem, right? And he's also going to be able to get a lot of labor crossover, you know, pre-voted for Trump looking for a silver lining candidate. He's definitely going to be able to deliver that as well. Yeah, he needs to target the unions for sure. Right. Absolutely. He needs to bring people back into the fold into Michigan and the Pennsylvanias Um, and hopefully the Floridas and the Virginias and the Arizonas or wherever the hell else. Texas, God forbid, (laughs) you know. So I I hope in the next uh, week or two we'll we'll get that information and um, people can actually start looking at a platform because right now it's just the the big topic is, oh, it's going to be two really rapey guys who are old and out of touch and. We have to get into the actual politics of uh, these two guys at some point. Well, I think we do, but I think, luckily, it's going to be ever-evolving. And so there's going to be a lot of anti-whatever Trump does to work off of as a candidate. 
and there is so much that he is being called into action to do that you kind of have to just sit back, let him make his own mistakes, and hope that it doesn't hurt the country that much. Like, it's so sick to think in political terms in these terrible times. But as a candidate, you have to really not put stick your neck out too far except to say, no, what he just said is wrong. Like, I'm not going to maybe propose my own way out of this thing, but I can have a referendum on what he did and chime in in that respect. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough navigating that as a candidate, I would think. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see uh, how this works out with the two of them. Uh, I can't say that I'm a, a big Biden fan. He kind of defaulted himself into this process right now, but um, he's going to get his votes. He's going to get the uh, vote blue, no matter who crowd, you know, anyone but Trump. Um, he's going to get, he's going to get votes. Uh, it's just the, the, the centrists and the, uh, the people on the, the far left who are, like I said, disenchanted, Yet again, four years later, that their candidate is uh, kind of been, I guess, uh, the way they see it, he's been snuffed out by the DNC. He's been shown the door. Yeah. However, his memory lives on, and I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see the influence from the left be put on Biden for each and every one of his responses like we've never seen before. Absolutely. And that is a good yeah. thing. So he's going to have to actually put it through the metrics and the filter of, I need to appease a very large section of this country who wants more progressive decisions out of me so he's going to sit there and he's gonna talk to his advisors and they're gonna be like listen here's what old joe would do here's what bernie would do and so here's what new joe would do or something to that effect he has to do that he can't run in 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 2020 right now we can't have him run an establishment democrat platform like obama or like hillary he can't do that he can't afford to or he will lose and not only that in the absence of having his own opinions we need to give him his own We, you know, we need to put the good thoughts in old Joe's head. So you have to, he has to be surrounded by a very diverse group of advisors. And once he gets in cabinet and running, he needs the best advisors, the best running mate. He needs all of that. And he's got to listen and he's got to prove particularly to those progressives that he's not just Donald Trump again, because that's kind of the way they're looking at him right now. So uh, let's move on to some uh, happier stuff. Sports has actually been doing some really interesting things in the in the the darkness of not being able to fill stadiums and uh, have events. All kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> do tell, do tell. Well, uh, for one thing, the uh, the NFL draft is going to go on as as uh, normal, except it's not just not going to be a a big uh, uh, arena full of people. So they're going to. All the, the top draft picks will be at home. They'll have cameras at their house, and we'll be able to watch it on TV. So that's going to be the same. Whether or not we have a season, who knows about that. But one thing that I thought was really interesting, they're they're talking about doing an NBA horse game that would be televised. Some of the NBA guys just actually playing horse. And that's how desperate, that's how desperate we are right now. We'll literally watch guys play horse just as long as we get to see balls go in holes. <laughs> it sounds terribly boring. I will never watch it. But I think that if you just want to keep people engaged with the sport and let you know that you still exist, uh, yeah, you're going to have to do something. Uh, you were talking about having a home run derby the still. home run derby, yeah. They're not going to have a, obviously, people not in the stands, but they're still going to, uh, they're talking about doing the home run derby. I think that would be fantastic. And they're actually talking I had a- about baseball in general. I don't know if you've heard this. Go ahead, and then I'll get back to it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I had the crazy idea of having just one <laughs> participant per stadium all around the country. Right. So that, you know, Bryce Harper's just sitting alone with the jugs machine in Philadelphia and then homeboys over there in Miami. And then everybody's on a Zoom and you just get to watch it as if it was a video game. So do we even have, let's get the stitch people on Do we have on a that. pitching machine or do we have actual pitchers there too? No, that's why I say the jugs oh, machine. Okay. What did you think? I was just being uh, deg- degrading or something? No, I actually it just <laughs> rolled right past my ears. Um yeah, that would be however they do it. That would be interesting, but they're they're still talking about possibly starting a starting Major League Baseball in May. And they're going to play all the games in Arizona at like Chase Field or the spring training stadiums and they they even like divide up the teams into different leagues. And did you see what the t- the league names were? The Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. And the Grapefruit <laughs> like they used yeah. to be. That's hilarious. Oh, that's awesome. That's pretty nostalgic. If they were able to do something like that, I am all aboard for that. Because Cactus was out in the West and Grapefruit was the Florida League, right? Yeah. They they don't do that anymore, right? No, no. But that would be interesting if they did that. And that would totally be cool. But I mean, they're doing that because they want to bring everybody to these low density areas. Like, I think then the NBA talk about being playing in Montana or something. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they've had so like, many different ideas bouncing around. Who knows if any of this but, stuff, but will that happen. is what they're trying to do in a lot of these leagues is bring you to the lowest density areas. If you're going to quarantine or if you're going to try and have a standalone uh, performance where these, uh, you know, right. These athletes have to try and stay healthy. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything anyone can do right now is uh, interesting. Trying to work around, People are getting creative. You, uh, Dana White. Yes, please. Dana White. <laughs> literally trying to build an octagon on an island to have UFC right. fighters well, on a Well, he can island. put himself in it, and hopefully we never see him again. But go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> Tell me about how you think this is a good idea. I can't, that, that one's the craziest <laughs> to me, but I would love to see that happen. I'd love to see a private island with an octagon on it. For UFC fights. I was just imagining one of those palm-looking ones that they have over in uh, UAE or wherever. Oh, those man-made yeah. ones. That would be the perfect type I'm of island for I'm picturing a bamboo-like cage. <laughs> so. I'm picture- Yes, I'm picturing a Street Fighter level exactly. as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> You know, to that point, I think it's great that everyone is trying to do whatever they can to get the sports back rolling. Something. Especially mm-hmm. to the, especially in the case of Mr. LeBron James. Can I just bring up that is this is probably going to be his last chance at greatness and he might be being denied it as we speak? Yeah, because the Lakers were really good and. Absolutely rolling. I think AD was on like a one-year contract, but probably going to re-sign if they won the championship kind of thing. I forget. But like. The shit is crumbling as far as we can tell right in front of his eyes. And it's one more thing that is just going to be this this total thorn in this man's beautiful legacy. I can't stand it. Like, uh, first, of you have people just giving MVPs to people like Derrick Rose undeservingly when everyone knows damn well LeBron James is the best player. And then you have Steph Curry assembling the super team and getting in the way, and Dan Gilbert not giving him the right players, and he doesn't get as many championships as he's supposed to, and now he has this third act, and it's going to be cut short. I, it's just ridiculous. I, I hate it. Yeah, it's it's rough. I know he's never going to be put on the pedestal with Jordan. No. But maybe he should He's be. not. The, the six, you know, it's just not It's not going to happen. So, But uh, even ESPN has been uh, doing different things, uh, that relying a lot on virtual sports, covering like oh. NBA 2K, 
And they're even doing like oh, Super Smash Brothers and like that mobile game League of Legends. This is the kind of stuff. But you're are seeing. the athletes playing it? Uh, the NBA 2K, they are. Yes. Is Chris Berman playing Super Smash Brothers? Or <laughs> no, I, what's going on? I think on? it's actually like pro gamers playing uh, Smash. And Oh, these assholes. I don't want to watch yeah, these, these blue-haired dudes. <laughs> they don't all have blue hair. What's that about? The number one dude has the hair with the thing, whatever Ninja. his name is. You know what I'm talking is, about. Yeah, there guy. you See? See? Nerd. Anyways, to all my gamer fans out there, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but in other super happy news, can we talk about Louis C.K. having a new special? I love special? me some Louis. Holy shit, dude. I had to watch it two times just so I can like breathe it all in. Because it was new and it was daring. And at the same time, it was just classic old mm-hmm. Louis. So comforting. I have yet to see it. I'm really so excited great. to watch it. Um, like, I mean, we're talking about like, very anti-Semitic, anti-gay, anti-straight jokes. Like, just shitting on everybody. It's fantastic. So he'll talk about, you know, how his family were guards at Auschwitz, but then tell you that, uh, well, don't worry, they were Jews and they died there. (laughs) It's like, the way he spins phrases is just, it had me rolling the entire time, and it was really serious stuff a lot of times. Oh, yeah, and he he delivers stuff so matter-of-factually. He's just like, Oh, it made it so great. (laughs) Like... Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he says, I love being a man that has two legs. <laughs> he's like, he's talking about, he's talking about how you give it all these people with no legs, this false narrative that they have to live up to. Like, you're just as good as someone with two legs. He's like, no, no, I, 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 I got, two, I literally have two more legs than you. And it's actually the amount you're supposed to have or something like that. You that know, is like, definitely a Louis C.K. So, joke. Yes. It's so wrong, and yet you have to you have to be so nimble to land it, and he lands them over and over I again. I see it. Yeah, don't spoil it any more for me. I can't wait to watch it. I won't, and I won't spoil anything else for the uh, the rest of the listeners as well. I apologize for doing that much, but let me just say he tries to do twenty minutes on the R word. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. This, you know what I mean? Like it's just so so ballsy. And speaking of ballsy, he obviously brings up the trouble that he got into several times he is not That's afraid the only to way talk to do about it. it bring bring it up head yeah. on you know there's no denial about it he said so how you been doing for the last couple years <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine anyone that you felt that friendly has with it, has saying it been that, that to long? you when me, me it, too exactly was, oh, exactly it's wow, crazy so we kind of have forgotten about him to for that long because yes life moves on and he wants to let you know that he's he was still out there living and essentially getting shit on this whole time. So in case you forgot, that's what he's been up to. Yeah. I'm still here, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but still coming up with awesome stuff. I don't so doubt it. I recommend it. I'm probably going to watch I it I haven't again seen it yet, today. and I'm, I, I would know. recommend it. <laughs> so right. I have that oh, much yeah. faith yeah. in it. Yeah, you got to be excited. Speaking of, speaking of guys, yeah, who have disappeared at times. Yeah, well, he talked about the fact in the, his uh, Kennedy Center Awards show that he disappeared for over a decade. Dave Chappelle was back with an absolutely awesome show to watch, and that is available for everyone as well. Yeah, he uh, recently won the Mark Twain Award, um, which famously also won by uh, Richard Pryor. The first recipient. Yes. And so, yeah, just it was a lot of comedians uh, honoring him. 
uh, some some good jokes. You know, some fell flat. I'm not a big Sarah Silverman guy, but uh, no, I'm not a Sarah Silverman fan, and less so as the years have yeah, gone she's, on. She kind of, I don't know, she just doesn't rub me the right way. But um, she can stay back in the aughts as Janine Garofalo can stay in the '90s, and I don't mean to be. <laughs> dismissive of females but it seems like both of those had their stylings for a yeah, decade it was very much catered to uh yeah one decade I, I actually never thought about that but neil brennan and neil brennan neil brennan always always brings the co-creator fire, of the dave so chappelle show good. he's often unhailed as a hero that dude is he is he has a, a pathos about him the way he delivers jokes and uh, he, he mm-hmm. had a stand up on uh, Netflix um, a couple his three yes, mics uh, a few years ago. It was so different. Wow, was that so good. fascinating? I loved it um, because one of them was serious. Was, was, shit, yeah, like not serious comedy journal at all. entries dealing with uh, depression yeah. and really dark. It was stuff. terrific, and he pulled it off. And then the uh, the other one was straight stand up, and then the other one was tweets. No, I am uh, pulled it off. Pulled it off. Magically, it was really good, and he was great again uh, during the yeah. uh, his segments on the show. But I highly recommend checking that out. It's a hour to an hour and a half long. Totally worth it to see Dave up there with his family and uh, all these great comedians coming together to honor him. So definitely uh, check that out and check out Louis C.K. as well. Nothing wrong with getting the excess of laughs in. At That's this what point. we need, man. Yeah, not only that, but laughs and jams. Let's go jam. What are you going to jam to when you get done with the show? Uh, I'm going to jam to some furniture that I will be m- moving into a van and then to another place for my fiance's <laughs> brother. Well, you're not going to, th- <laughs> you could throw in the head buds or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't, he's, uh, he's probably not going to be blasting music in the U-Haul. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because there's nothing better than having help when you need to move. You feel so vulnerable th- at those times and that's when you find out who the real friends yeah, are. Most definitely. And it's often time family. <laughs> what are uh, what are your plans to jam on? Oh, well, I got to tell you that yesterday was a really big lawn day. Um, we had the craziest week of weather ever. These people who are having all these doomsday prophecies because of the coronavirus, they kind of have a leg to stand on if you just look at Ohio weather in the last week. <laughs> um, we went from 70 degrees to torrential sideways forest gump rain to snow that actually accumulated and uh it looked really funny next to the walkway that i'm building because it looked like i was building a moat around my house so that was crazy and then that all subsided and a couple of extremely windy days later i was able to break out the mower my dual bladed 30 inch magnificent push behind mower needed its blade sharpened so I got the blades off and I ground down them and they're they're super sharp right now and I gave the mow or I gave the lawn the first mow of the year and that was freaking awesome. So when I get done with this, I'm going to go do the edging and get back out in the nice weather. I can't wait. All right. Well, I'll be thinking of you while I'm uh, carrying couches. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be thinking of you while I'm clearing brush. All right. Well, I guess that's all we've got for today. So I hope we... And I think that was that's enough. That's probably enough. Um, there will be enough again in a week. <laughs> so I hope everyone joins us again for another mild take on uh, all the craziness going on in the world right now. I do want to say that in addition to Ryan Little doing our wonderful theme music, as always, check him out on the SoundCloud. We are now everywhere. 
we are not only on iTunes, but we are on Google Play, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, and of course Facebook. So there are all these new outlets for everyone to check out the show because I know we've had some requests, especially from our Android people, different ways to access YouTube the show. as well. So, Every show is uploaded to YouTube. Oh, yeah, oh yes, absolutely. YouTube so, as well. Subscribe, um, like, share, do whatever you can do. But um, we'll be here for you guys on all the platforms that you can find. Damn right. See you guys next week. Everybody take care and be safe. <laughs>